Welcome to Being a Life Sciences Leader podcast. With a bird's eye view of the life sciences industry, Life Sciences Pennsylvania President and CEO, Chris Molyneux, joins Rachel Bushy, partner and chair of the Health Sciences Department at Troutman Pepper, to welcome life sciences leaders who give insights into the complex and high-risk world of pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, medical devices, diagnostics, and the services that support them. Here, we learn what it means to be a life sciences leader. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Being a Life Sciences Leader. I'm Chris Molyneux. I'm the president and CEO of Life Sciences Pennsylvania, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this podcast, co-hosted with me by Rachel Bushy of Troutman & Pepper. Rachel. Hi, Chris. This podcast is being brought to you by Life Sciences Pennsylvania, the statewide trade association for the life sciences community that calls Pennsylvania home. We, we pulled this podcast together to highlight top executives in the life sciences and really more specifically to provide listeners a look into the life and the journey, the experiences of these life sciences leaders to give you all actionable takeaways and leadership advice. We also want to provide a face to the industry because these scientists and business leaders often work heads down, day in and day out, trying to solve medical problems and provide solutions to unmet medical needs. And we don't always get to learn about them or grow with them as executives. So we'll hear about their paths, their industry experiences, and all the people who are affected by the work that they perform in the life sciences. Just one example, of course, that we'll probably touch on at some point is the pandemic uh, and everything associated with that, but all the other work that scientists and business leaders in life sciences are pursuing. So Rachel Bushy is here with me. Rachel, why don't you introduce yourself and what brought you to this podcast? Well, thanks so much, Chris. Uh, Rachel Bushy, I am chair of the Health Sciences Department at Troutman Pepper. Uh, Troutman Pepper is a full-service law firm with over 1,200 attorneys, and we have a health sciences department that's dedicated solely to life sciences and healthcare. We have 175 lawyers within the department working in, in everything from early-stage startup all the way through more mature and big pharma. My practice solely focus on life sciences in both capital markets and M&A, doing both early stage as well as later stage work. So I'm really excited to be here today and, and talk to many of the executives that I am fortunate enough to work with and to interact with in the industry. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to better understand the industry trends from each of these executives to understand how they came to be where they are. I often find that you can learn just as much from, if not more, from failures uh, than you can from many of their successes. And so it's going to be a really interesting journey to hear about everything that they've done and the lessons that they've learned. I also am really curious to see the various traits that make up these leaders and see some of the commonality and differences as we interview these different leaders. I think it's going to be really interesting for our listeners to understand that there are different ways to be successful in this industry and to hear and learn from each of them. So I, I can't tell you how excited I was to have you ask me uh, to join you in this. All, all great points, Rachel. And, and actually, that's the outline that we're going to follow or try to follow with each of our guests, although these are all going to be very interesting people who may take us far afield in some of the conversations, but we do want to keep our listeners updated on industry trends and then talk about the people behind the roles as life sciences leaders. We'll ask about their commitment to the industry, learn more about them and their leadership styles, 
learn about their professional lives, and even in some cases maybe how their personal lives affected their professional lives. But this will be a look into what makes a successful leader in the life sciences industry. We do want to keep this casual, as well as informative, uh, informal, but also actionable. So we, we will ask each guest to give some very practical tips and, and ideas on leadership, and as Rachel said, also get into what works as well as what doesn't work and the lessons learned. And then we'll usually end with a rapid-fire series of questions to get to know them as leaders, what they wish they knew when they started on this journey, and just key attributes that they, they try to emulate as they, as they lead their organizations. As a reminder, we encourage our listeners to submit questions for us to ask guests to membership at lifesciencespa.org. Please make sure to follow and like the podcast or subscribe for updates. We'll also have important information in our show notes category as well, so please don't forget to look there. Excellent, excellent point, Rachel. That's membership at lifesciencespa.org for questions. Rachel, tell me a little bit about your background. Tell our listeners a little bit about your background and why it makes sense for you to be part of this discussion, to, to lead these discussions. Well, thanks, Chris. Um, so my background, as I said earlier, I'm chairing our the health sciences department at Troutman, but I started off my career at Pepper Hamilton as a corporate uh, attorney and after five years went in-house to a company called West Pharmaceutical Services. Um, that was a really great experience for me because it, it, often lawyers don't get to be on the business side of the law. And I quickly learned that in order to make real change, you have to do it within the strategy and the business and learn how to mitigate risk in a way that helps the business move and operate in a way that has minimal risk, but not no risk. And often I think that uh, lawyers sometimes get themselves caught up with the no risk category. And so I I always said that my time in-house, I was navigating the gray. And it really provided a great uh, backdrop for me to come back into private practice and and learn what I had done in-house and apply that to companies uh, as outside general counsel and as outside counsel. And so I came back in 2010 and, and... helped Pepper grow its life sciences practice um, in, in training teams with both what I call the practical legal aspect as well as um, the, the, the knowledge that we have in the industry. And so it's been, it's been great. I get to work with companies of all varieties and sizes. And so I, as in that role, I'm able to see a variety of different leadership styles. Yeah, and Rachel, I'm going to interject and just point out that you are very well known for the great network that you have. You're one of the, the most well-connected people in the life sciences in Pennsylvania, and you're also known as a problem solver. And as you said, a lot of lawyers take the approach of no risk, of complete risk avoidance, uh, which you really can't do in the life sciences. Uh, and you're known as someone who, who will say, you know, d- don't tell me no because, you know, t- tell me yes if. Well, uh, thank and, you, Chris. And, and I up with solutions. <laughs> I appreciate that, Chris, and I do try to really uh, imply that with my with my clients. Excellent. Well, and, and uh, just by way of quick introduction, as the president and CEO of Life Sciences Pennsylvania, I have the privilege of overseeing the trade association, which, as I mentioned, is the statewide organization that represents the entire life sciences community. That includes pharmaceutical companies, medical devices, diagnostics, biotech the investment community, contract research organizations, the academic research community, really the entire life sciences ecosystem of Pennsylvania and beyond. We, we have about 120 member companies that are based outside of Pennsylvania. 
and our total membership now counts more than 860 member companies. As a trade association, we're really responsible for two things, public policy advocacy being number one. So I spent a lot of time in Harrisburg and down in Washington, D.C., trying to shape public policy to make Pennsylvania the most attractive place to open and operate a life sciences company. Well, speaking of that, Chris, I, I think most of our listeners have all heard about the infamous Chris Molino joining as CEO of Life Sciences PA. Everyone was very excited and, and very interested to hear about your time in the Bush administration and your background. So can you give us a little bit of what brought you to Life Sciences PA? Sure. Yeah. My admiration and, and interest in the life sciences, uh, particularly biotech, really goes back to when I was in high school. I was fascinated by biology, took all the biology classes, advanced biology, went into college as a bio pre-med major but quickly learned that I had a stronger interest in public policy advocacy and communications. So I actually, after school, had the opportunity to work in the Reagan White House for a year uh, and then into the vice president's office at the time, Vice President Bush, and then spent the beginning of my career uh, in the Bush administration, Bush 41, from when he was vice president to, into the White House, was able to serve as a press officer uh, providing advance work for, for the president at the time, which took me around the country, around the world, uh, 48 states, 14 foreign countries over the course of about three years, which taught me a lot about interacting with people. So it was, you know, you had to change the approach. Each city we went into uh, had to deal with local media. And I've taken a lot of those experiences into my current job because it's all about effective communications and managing relationships. So that, that job in the White House was a, a special, special privilege uh, and also allowed me to get into the Department of Health and Human Services where I reconnected with my affection for life sciences and healthcare. I took that into the private sector, first at a public relations firm and then into the trade association world. So I had the, the opportunity to serve as the head of public affairs and communications for the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. I was there for six years learning about the healthcare system, payer community, and life sciences generally, and then moved from there to Pharma, the trade association down in D.C., and then into Johnson & Johnson. So I, I did have the opportunity for nearly nine years to run communications and public affairs at J&J, &J, uh, and then moved over to Life Sciences Pennsylvania. It was a great opportunity to come into this organization. Well, getting on one of the questions that you know we're going to be asking all of our guests, what do you think one of the biggest challenges facing Life Sciences PA when you first joined was, and how did you tackle it? When I came into the organization, I knew the organization very well. So in my job at J&J, &J, one of the responsibilities I had was to serve as the liaison to the state associations. So Pennsylvania Bio at the time, the predecessor name to Life Sciences Pennsylvania, New Jersey Bio, Massachusetts Bio, all the state associations. Uh, and when I came into Pennsylvania Bio at the time, the, the biggest hurdle, I think, was slow growth of the membership. We came in, I came in, there were 278 member companies, uh, not a particularly strong balance sheet, and we were able to take advantage of the great network that exists in, in the organization uh, and continue to grow it, accelerate the growth. We've averaged more than 100 new members a year each year for the last 10 years. And that's, that's testament fabulous. to, really, it's testament to the growth of the industry in Pennsylvania. Now, you, you do the quick math, and 100 new members a year for 10 years, 
but we only have 860 members. Companies get uh, bought. Companies get bought. Companies go out of business. Products fail. And it's a reminder, it's really a stark reminder to us that it's a very fragile community. You know, this is a, an, an industry that does mer- truly miraculous things for patients, but it's also a very fragile community that needs a good public policy environment in which to, to grow and succeed. So understanding that, understanding the policy environment, and the ability to communicate effectively, th- those are the roles of an effective trade association. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It is it's a fragile company community, but a strong, a strong personal community environment. And, you know, you talked about my networking and being networked. Well, a lot of that has come from me coming to a lot of the life sciences PA events and seeing and talking to a lot of these executives and getting to know each other. And so I think there's a lot of strength in our community among the people and among the group. And, you know, not that we have a chip on our shoulder, but I I think, you know, (laughs) you know, Rachel, I I was actually going to say that. I think there is a little bit of a chip on on people's shoulders here in Pennsylvania. But but first, to your point, it is a very tight-knit community. Everyone knows each other. Everyone sticks around, even as they change jobs. They they stay in the community. They stay in the region. I've sometimes hypothesized that most people in our membership in the life sciences in Pennsylvania have worked in or for one of five companies, GlaxoSmithKline, Wyeth, Merck, Roan Palanque Roar and Senecor. I was going to say Senecor's got to yep. be in there. Senecor is absolutely <laughs> in there, and I'm I'm a Senecor alum myself. And I've actually tested that hypothesis at some of our events, and three quarters of the room will raise their hand, acknowledging that they had experience in one of those companies. And three of those companies don't even exist anymore. But the people have stuck around. It is a very tight knit community, and people like to help each other in this community. It's it's a special group of companies and individuals where talent and scientific knowledge and business knowledge is often exchanged, and it helps people to grow their careers, and it helps companies to grow. And that's really the second priority of Life Sciences Pennsylvania. Public policy advocacy first, but facilitating strategic connections is the second. And we're very proud of the growth that we've seen, and I'm especially proud of the team that we have. I mentioned when I came into the organization in the beginning of 2010, we had 278-member companies and 14 full-time employees. And today we have 860-member companies and 13 full-time employees. And it's amazing you guys operate like you have a lot more. I mean, every event that you guys do is so well run. You, you really do have a good, a well, good team. Well, thank you. And I thank you specifically and our board of directors, the other members of our board, because it's really a reflection of the effectiveness of the board because we're able to grow and we're able to take advantage of the networks of each board member and other members of the association to continue that growth. So when we get into the, these meetings and these, these guest interviews, we'll spend a lot of time learning about their leadership attributes and also trying to probe a little bit about the challenges and how they overcame challenges because it's not an easy industry. This is a, a difficult industry to work in. It's extremely high risk. We're going to hear about failures and failure rates that are very high in life sciences. Like oh, we, absolutely. We, it's daunting for any of these executives. You know, yeah. a lot of these executives even coming out of big pharma, I think it'll be interesting to hear how they deal with a billion-dollar budget versus coming in and having to raise all this money from a VC community that many of them may not have paid attention to before. That's right. And, and knowing that the, the rate of failure is about 90%. Nine out of 10 of these companies will fail. And only one 
in every 1,500 product that enters the review process at the FDA, one out of 1,500 will actually make it. I'm always blown away by that statistic whenever I hear it. It just, it's amazing. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get into a lot of that and the, the current political environment, not too much into politics, but the political environment that is just very unfairly demonizing the pharmaceutical industry because it's an easy bumper sticker issue, but it's based on complete lack of information or even worse, misinformation. Well, that's one of the things that I'm excited about this podcast is I think it's easy to have, as you call, a bumper sticker a slogan. Um, but when you start getting to know the people that have dedicated their life to develop these drugs, to lead these people, to take on the risk, and you start to understand their mission and how they view it, that's when you you understand the human aspect and you can really understand the industry and what drives these people and understand that a lot of this is more politicized and more about Democrats versus Republicans than it is about the people actually driving the growth in this industry. Well, and that's what makes these individuals doubly impressive, triply impressive, that they're able to do that. They're able to persevere. They're able to motivate teams in a high-risk industry that's getting attacked almost daily. I mean, it really, with all the static that's out there in the airwaves about drug pricing, which is completely unfounded and unfair. Completely agree. Uh, you know, the, the fact that these people get up every day and they're still driven to find solutions to unmet medical needs is really, really impressive. I completely agree. And, you know, I was hoping that with the pandemic and um, the fact that these very folks are the one that drove us to the cure, uh, that perhaps there would be a longer halo effect um, after that. But unfortunately, it seems like we're back to the bumper sticker slogan issues. Well, and that's where advocacy and discussions about the, the real complexities of healthcare. It's not just about prescription drug pricing. It's about insurance benefit design. It's insurance access to, to patients. It's costs. It's hospitals. It's doctors. It's pharmacy benefit managers. It's insurers. I mean, there are so many players that it really makes advocacy important, and you have to be persistent. And and that's what we're gonna we're gonna hear from these leaders. I'm oh, sure. I'm sure persistence and tenacity is something that I think will be a common theme among any of the leaders that we interview. So that's the structure. Those are the issues we're gonna try to cover. We will again allow actually invite questions. So submit those questions to membership at lifesciencespa.org, and also keep an eye on the show notes for information about the podcast and who our guests are. And in the meantime, we wish you all the best, and we look forward to continuing these conversations. Mm-hmm.